What's up, everyone? This is Anthony Pompliano. Most of you know me as Pomp. You're listening to the Pomp Podcast, simply the best podcast out there. Let's kick this thing off. Ben Zhao is the co-founder and CEO of Bybit, a global crypto derivatives exchange. He previously ran a retail Forex brokerage for almost a decade. In this conversation, we discuss Bybit's founding story, how they used affiliate marketing to grow so fast, the mobile trading trends that they're seeing, the World Series of Trading event, and what Ben thinks about the Chinese digital currency plans. I really enjoyed this conversation with Ben, and I hope you do as well. Before we get into the episode, though, I want to quickly talk about our sponsors. The first is Blockset by BRD. You probably know BRD or Bread because they had one of the first Bitcoin wallets in the App Store back in 2014. They've now launched a new product called Blockset. It's a hosted blockchain infrastructure business. Exactly what AWS is for Amazon and the traditional internet, Blockset is for the blockchain world. Blockset enables enterprises and developers around the globe to deliver high-quality blockchain-based applications in a fraction of the time at a fraction of the cost. If you're building in the blockchain world, you got to use Blockset. So go check them out at Blockset.com. Again, Blockset.com. Our second sponsor is Helium. The Helium Hotspot is a new product that enables the people, not the telcos, to own and operate a wireless network in their city for Internet of Things devices. Historically, the telcos have had a monopoly on owning and running wireless networks. What they say goes. Helium is changing that. They've created the Helium Hotspot. If you buy one and you set it up, you become part of a decentralized network that's taking back power from the telcos. Democratizing ownership of the wireless network is good for everyone. So you can earn crypto for helping to build the network and providing connectivity to Internet of Things devices by sending small bits of data from the device in your home. Join the movement and get your Helium Hotspot today. I've got one, so join me. You can join today at helium.com. And if you use the code POMP, P-O-M-P, POMP, you'll get $50 off. I promise it is super cool, super easy to set up. It literally took me three minutes. Helium.com, use code POMP, get 50 bucks off. Lastly, I read a daily letter to over 50,000 investors about business technology and finance. I break down complex topics into easy to understand language while sharing opinions on various aspects of each industry. You can subscribe at pompletter.com. Again, pompletter.com. All right, let's get into this episode with Ben. I hope you guys enjoy this one. Anthony Pompliano is a partner at Morgan Creek Digital. All opinions expressed by Pomp or his guests on this podcast are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of Morgan Creek Digital or Morgan Creek Capital Management. You should not treat any opinion expressed by Pomp as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of his opinion. This podcast is for informational purposes only. All right, guys, bang, bang. I've got Ben here with me. Super excited to, uh, to talk with them. Thanks so much for doing this, man. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure. Absolutely. Coming to us live from Shanghai. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. but for those that don't know you, let's just start with uh, with your background. Kind of what did you do uh, before you uh, got into crypto? Uh, so I was in the retail Forex business. Um, I sort of, I was the starting member of uh, a current retail uh, FX broker called XM.com. Uh, right now, it's probably one of the top five for sure. Uh, retail Forex uh, uh, platform uh, have business all over the globe. Um, so I was in there for eight years. Uh, in the end, uh, when I left, I was managing the sort of the greater China region. 
uh, with close to 100 staff. Uh, I left in uh, late uh, 2017. Um, so I was in charge basically of overall uh, operation, marketing, customer support, business development, uh, just all aspect of the Forex uh, business. Uh, so I guess it sort of gave me a, uh, a edge on, you know, I was running a platform and now I'm running Bybit. Um, so it, I, I believe I could use a lot of my previous knowledge, especially on how to handle retail clients, uh, deliver a product that uh, really uh, built for the retail and collect feedbacks from the users and uh, how to, you know, uh, give them the best support and overall trading experience. So I, I guess I'm particularly lucky in that aspect. Yeah. Yeah, what, what was some of your biggest takeaways from having run that uh, kind of global Forex product, right? Because I think that's a pretty unique experience. Any takeaways you had from that? Um, a takeaway, I, I guess, is uh, um, one thing, is, which is one of the reasons I started Bybit, is that um, at least in Forex, the, the, the whole business is very mature. It's, it's very matured. And uh, so the overall trading experience is actually very, very good uh, if the platform is doing the right thing. Uh, there's all the different tools you can provide to a client, uh, whether it's customer support, whether it's the trading product, whether it's a uh, indicator or a education sort of platform and all of that. Um, it, it was very established. So there was nothing too much to worry about in terms of the product. Uh, but looking into crypto, uh, when I first got into it by uh, end of uh, 2017, um, it was it was just the overall experience. I felt like it was uh, kind of very behind um, in, in the total overall kind of experience, especially during volatility. Uh, and that's one of the reasons I decided to build Bybit. Is I, I figured with, with the knowledge and the standard uh, that I can take from uh, Forex, uh, I can build a, a product that's kind of matching the, you know, you know, the trading standard I believe the trader can deserve. So I, I, I believe for me, the biggest takeaway is I know what exchange uh, could be and where the standard should be. And, uh, and that's what I want to push the limits and sort of build the Bybit platform to, uh, to the standard I'm used to and even, uh, even beyond. Yeah. And when you say that the crypto space was behind in terms of infrastructure and technology, like what, what were they lacking or where did you see the opportunity in terms of things that existed in the global Forex market that didn't exist in crypto? Um, it was, uh, it, it was an overall trading experience. Um, so, um, when, when, when I looked into it, uh, there was only BitMEX and OKEX at the time. Uh, so I was also checking out majorly uh, on BitMEX, and first of all, the UI UE it was it was hard for me. Uh, I, I coming from retail, I know that this platform, uh, the whole user experience could be improved, uh, uh, more user sort of friendly, the, the the whole layout and all that. And uh, uh, and I was trade doing a little bit of trading, especially during volatility. There was a lot of these type of issues with uh, either overload or servers not available or um, it, it was just hard, uh, you know, during the time. And I figured um, the industry is too small. Uh, what if uh, really we're talking about mass adoption and if the mass adoption happens, uh, no exchange can handle that type of volume. And so I figured the opportunity is for sure there, uh, even just from the underground sort of infrastructure perspective. And, but also from customer support, uh, it was no, no, no live support and also... Uh, just here and there, the detail, the small parts, I, I feel uncomfortable. And uh, I figured there was uh, a lot room to improve. 
Um, and even now, I start to see the whole industry is getting more mature. Uh, for example, we start to see a lot more algo platform or a more uh, sort of a, a copy trading platform, which is uh, vastly available in, in, in FX in, uh, in traditional, uh, I guess, industry. But now it is getting uh, more popular. Uh, people start to see them as a new thing, but it, it's actually really not. Um, copy trading, this type of stuff has been happening a lot in, in, in FX for a long time. Uh, but you start to see in, in crypto. So I, I, I guess as the industry grow, um, as we get more mature, different sectors will get more professional and different product will come out uh, in the form of uh, uh, traditional space. Yeah. Yeah. And so I guess um, why start a company versus just go join one of the existing ones and help them improve? Like what, what was the impetus to actually want to start a brand new company? Uh, well, hello, can you hear me? Yep. Oh, sorry. I saw it got cut out. Yeah. Uh, yeah, this is a very good question. Uh, to be honest, number one is I didn't know anyone. <laughs> I was completely fresh off the boat in the industry. Uh, and uh, and really spe realistically speaking, if I didn't know, let's see, any of the major guys in the crypto now, I, I, I don't know, you know, uh, the, the, the whole Bible story might change. So I didn't know anyone. And number two is, um, uh, you know, uh, there's a, a huge advantage being a latecomer, uh, especially in uh, 2018. I'm now looking back, I think uh, a major part of Bybit's success attribute to the to the fact that we were not the ones eating the crab, the first person or the first guy who invented the wheel. Uh, so we were able to take a model uh, of uh, say BitMax or OKEX, uh, a concept of perpetual contract and sort of built on it. So from the infrastructure level, we can actually bear in mind that uh, solving the overload or the server stability issues is what we planning for. So from the very bottom, we can actually build something more solid. So that gave us a huge edge. Uh, well, thanks to the, you know, uh, the, 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 uh, the, the first guys that designed this whole thing, but we were able to take it and sort of uh, build on it. So that gives us an edge as a latecomer and, uh, and now we can do more uh, with it, you know. So um, I, I think this is one of the things. And also at the time, I found a few very good partners that can help me to to achieve this uh, the, the, this Bybit uh, uh, project, um, and that's how we decided to go with it. Yeah, got it. And so, when you got started, like, what was the idea in terms of what did you guys set out to build? Uh, the very first version was uh, we want to build a uh, platform that offers uh, derivatives, starting with perpetual contract and then gradually moving into all different products as we are doing now still uh we, we're working on our expiration contract and even options um and also just to refine it uh we want to sort of copy the model uh if you say someone who invented the the the, the car uh but the japanese took it and really sort of refined it and that's our model is to really build the product and more designed for retail. Uh, we Our pure focus is on retail. So the Bybit product, whenever you see uh, we have a new product launching, it's uh, already sort of everything out of the box. We want, we want to give to our customer the feeling that um, it's like getting a new iPhone. We open it, it's, everything is ready. Everything is already packed inside. Uh, it's already been polished and uh, very retail friendly. So this was the idea. It was a purely uh, retail focused derivative exchange. Uh, built for the retail, uh, and even now, uh, we have been uh, pushing out our mobile app for half a year and putting a bunch of new features into our mobile app. 
And we start to see that a lot of our users are, you know, are turning and, and changing their trading behavior into the mobile app. So the original assumption that you cannot do professional trading on a mobile app, we believe it's it, the whole reason is because there wasn't a mobile app available for people to do so. So all, most of the exchange offer the mobile app as a supplement or an easy way to trade. But we want to focus on the mobile app as we see the trend and, and really more make, make it a weapon sort of because crypto is 24-7 and, uh, and it goes perfectly well with a mobile trading uh, equipment. So uh, we want to take advantage of that and really devote our energy into this type of retail-focused uh, apps and products. So for the couple of people who are listening who don't know what a derivatives exchange is, maybe just explain what that is. Um, yeah, it's a, uh, you know, a kind of a margin leverage trading using uh, margin to trade uh, Bitcoin or Ethereum or Ripple. Um, we, we currently offer four different peers, uh, both a linear contract and inverse contract. Linear meaning you can use USDT, USDT to trade and it's settled in USDT. Uh, you can go up to 100 leverage uh, so that if you have, uh, I don't know, uh, if you want to trade uh, $10,000, you can use uh, literally $1,000 uh, of USDT to trade. And uh, so you can, you can limit sort of the uh, counterparty risk by not putting too much coins on an exchange by using leverage. Uh, I heard a lot of people using that. Yeah. So, yeah. Got it. And so you guys go and you launch and you kind of took the world by storm, right? In terms of you really hit marketing and, and the affiliate programs and all of that um, in a kind of a big way. Maybe talk through a little bit. Once you guys had built the product, what were those things that you did to kind of get the word out and really start driving adoption? Uh, very good question. Actually, it's one of the questions I haven't talked about so much. Uh, uh, it's, uh, I, I think what we very original stage that uh, early stage that we did sort of something that changed the industry is how affiliation system works. Uh, so when we built the uh, launched the uh, Bitcoin perpetual contract in uh, December 2018, uh, after about three months, there wasn't so much volume and uh, interest coming in. Uh, we realized we need to focus on really getting people to know our product. Um, so this is again based on my previous uh, FX knowledge, which is very developed in the affiliation system and program. We looked at the com competition across board. Uh, there was Bitmax, OKEx, and even Binance. Uh, the affiliation is more of a referral program. It's a very simple page with your link, and that's it. So and then we sort of talked to all of the KOLs at the time, YouTubers, Twitter guys, and, and you know across all over the globe. And their feedback was that um, their main source of income was mainly from a shout out. Well, I give you a shout out, I charge you, you know, 200 bucks and this type of deal. Um, I realized, well, they could be making so much money and utilizing their, their, their conversion and their, their traffic by simply working on an affiliation deal. Uh, but they couldn't do so because the data was not there. The data was not transparent. They could not analyze their action. So what we did is we basically built a, uh, affiliate CRM uh, for them to be able to at least see uh, they can create different campaigns. So they, for you, Palm, you can create a YouTube campaign, a Twitter campaign. With different campaign, you can use different links. Uh, with different links, we give you all the chartings, all the clicks, how many clicks, how many conversions, how much uh, how much uh, traffic was coming in. Uh, so in a way, you can you can you can start to see the the testing their behavior. So they could be saying. Uh, Bybit, check out Bybit, uh, it's uh, no overload. 
and then they leave it for a week. And the next one, they could say, check out Bybit. Uh, there is uh, uh, no KYC, for example. Uh, so whichever link has more traffic, they will be pushing that link more and then sort of uh, uh, really develop their whole energy into, into promoting a exchange. So after we launched that, and along with that, there was a, uh, also a spike in price movement in April of 2019. Uh, that really uh, gave us a huge, uh, uh, a lot of client acquisition. Uh, and you can start to see that what we changed is that from being uh, charging shoutouts, uh, affiliates are now fully being a, a baby promoter and actually can earn the income. So, the, so this is the way uh, we originally started the, the, how people get to know them. But obviously, once you get people to know them, retention is the key. It is to actually have a solid product so that clients try you and they like you, they stay. So we actually have one of the highest uh, retention in the industry. Uh, uh, we, we have, I, I think, almost 60%. So every 10 people who uh, register by a bit uh, would end up making deposits, at least 60% of them. So um, um, this is because our product is, is user-friendly, it's built for retail, and they can find us 24-7 for, for customer support, all of that whole package. So in the end, it is the whole package, but in the beginning, this is what we did to get the initial uh, ball rolling. Yeah. And, and I think one of the other things that I've heard people talk about with Bybit is not only was uh, it really built for an analytics standpoint around the affiliate program, but also the way that you um, compensated people in that affiliate program was kind of unique. And so I've heard a lot of people come to me and say, hey, look, like I make more money with Bybit than uh, any other exchange that I work with. Maybe talk a little bit just about that, that compensation structure and how you guys thought about that and, and built it. Um, the compensation is rather simple, uh, but uh, people, uh, I, get, I guess once you give them full data transparency, we don't give them the client information, of course, but they can actually see that uh, if a UID is registered, because the UID is an internal Bybit number, so there is nothing conflict about that. They can see a UID registered, uh, uh, how much it's been traded, either it's taker volume or, or maker volume, and then how much commission they've been made from that client. Uh, and if they create different campaign, they can actually target, let's say if I'm in the signal group, I can see the ROI on my signal group or versus the, uh, uh, on my Discord group, let's say. Um, so with the data transparency, it, it, it gives the, a lot of affiliates ideas that um, they can make more and all that. But I, I believe true, uh, they probably could make more because the, the product, the retention, all, all of that. Uh, in terms of payment, we just give them a cut on the, on the fees we collected. So we charge our clients a taker fee uh, of 7.5 bips which is the uh, same as is industry standard. And we also give a rebate on whoever providing us liquidity uh, by giving a 2.5 uh, bips rebate on the maker volume. Uh, and the affiliates would share that taker volume, um, um, share that taker volume uh, fees. Another reason is because the platform is overall built for retail. Uh, a lot of retail clients tend to use uh, a taker uh, strategy. So, uh, that is why if they compare with, let's say, BMAX or FTX, maybe FTX has a lot of quants or API traders, which can be a lot of uh, maker volume. So I guess that whole thing we built for uh, retail and they have retail audience. That's what makes Bybit is very good for conversion. So I, I don't think it's the actual payment structure, but it's the product is built for their clients. 
so they have a better conversion. In the end, they get better paid uh, for, for, for the commission. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. And then you guys um, have been spending a lot of time on your mobile app. Uh, you said earlier that, uh, you know, you saw kind of some trends where people wanted to use the app. Maybe talk a little bit about those trends and, and kind of what drove you to, to put so much time and effort into uh, building out the mobile app. So originally, we built a mobile app uh, purely for our Asian users um, because there were so many requests from Japanese, Korean, and the, and the Chinese users of Bybit uh, asking for a mobile app. Uh, before the mobile app, we had a mobile website. So when you visit from a mobile phone, uh, it will show a web.bybit.com, sort of a new layout and structure for, for the mobile. But uh, they, they want a mobile app. So what we did is, okay, let's build this product uh, and, uh, and we can use some of the uh, real cool function of, of a mobile app, uh, that is the notification features. So what's the best thing of, of a mobile app is that you can find the user anytime when they are, you know, uh, I don't know, go to the toilet or people take their phone with them. So that's the only thing you can find your client anytime pretty much. Uh, and push notification, it, you can utilize that. So uh, in the very original version one of the mobile app, we, we already had a very simple price alert function where if they can set, if Bitcoin price reaches a certain level, we, push, we give you a notification. But recently we pushed out a strategy alert that is one much more uh, step ahead uh, uh, on top of the, the simple price alert you can actually set different indicators. Uh, meaning if you have moving average, you can set two moving average with different period. And once when they cross each other, we will send you a notification uh, and let you know that movement is happening. Or a lot of people, let's say they care about the exchange funding fees or the funding rate, especially the predicted funding rate, meaning that how many uh, people are overselling or oversold uh, in our order book. Uh, so we can give them a notification based on that factor. And also, we plan to put in much more indicators such as Fibonacci, uh, MACD, and all that useful ones um, so that people can uh, rely on these things to tell them when the market is moving. And, and as far as for the trend is going, uh, uh, yeah, sorry, I got distracted a little bit. Um, in the beginning, it was built for the Asian users. But uh, right now, for example, 80% of our Japanese users are on our mobile app. Uh, I would say 70% of our Korean users are mobile app, uh, but our uh, mean English European markets are now slowly gaining market share on the mobile app from originally 30% now to about uh, 50%. So you can see a big trend of everyone started using it as we gave more capability onto the mobile app uh, and they like it a lot. And that's one of the most feedback we get. Uh, a lot of people choose Bybit simply because our mobile app. So um, uh, we really intend to invest much more onto the development of that. Yeah. 50 to 80% of users in certain countries using the mobile app is insane. Like I, I would uh, not have expected it to be that high. Japan is insanely high. I would never expected that. Uh, but Japan, it was, before we offered the mobile app, everyone was using the, the web version. But once uh, we have the mobile app, everyone switched. So it was, it, was, it was very surprising surprising to me as well. <laughs> yeah. Why do you think that they're using the mobile app? Is it literally just because they're on the move, crypto is 24-7, and this is an easy way to do it, and the app has uh, enough functionality to, to kind of do what they need to do, or is it something else? 
Uh, I, I think that's that's exactly probably what it is, um, especially during the weekends. Uh, I guess people cannot be staring on the in front of the PC all the time, yeah. And that sort of gives you the habit once you start to using the mobile app because maybe you're using to PC uh, version quite often, but at one weekend you have to go away, you start using the mobile, you realize, oh, it got all the tools I need, it got everything, then he start to rely on it. It's like how you start to use TikTok, you know, it's, uh, before you install it, you never knew you liked it, and then you start to give you the hook, you know, <laughs> yeah. Are, are you on TikTok? Uh, you know what, I recently just deleted it because I, I found it, it, it's such an addictive thing. I actually deleted it last week because uh, it's costing me too much time. <laughs> I love that. So one of the other things that, uh, that I know you guys have built into the mobile app is almost this like uh, predictive type uh, functionality, right? Where I can basically say, hey, uh, tell me when a certain uh, asset hits a certain price or tell me when you know, some event happens, send me a push notification. That's kind of like an alert system, but it sounds yeah. like you're, you're kind of moving towards maybe in the future, you'll be able to actually, um, you know, kind of know what the user would want to know, even if they didn't set the alert and, and, um, and kind of send a push notification. Is that accurate or, or is that a little bit farther out? Yeah, in, in that system, we want to advance into more even uh, automated trading. Uh, for our mobile users, for example, if you we, we if you start to use different indicators and you want us to let you know that when this indicator is happening, uh, or certain price hits the trigger point, we can. The next step is to connect the conditional order or limit order system into the notification. So, once let's say your Fibonacci hits certain resistance, you want to do a conditional order in. Uh, we can set it out for you. Uh, and of course, the, the amount and all that you can set yourself. So uh, this is one more step towards the, the mobile app. And that's sort of where eventually we want to take this whole thing is that people can really don't need to monitor the phone anymore. Uh, it, it becomes completely automated and you can do it, all these. You can, we, we can empower our user to become sort of a quant trader in a way that um, you don't have to know code to be able to do this type of automated, simple automated trading. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And then um, when uh, when your team reached out to me to uh, to uh, do this, uh, they were reaching out because they wanted to talk about the World Series of Trading, right? And so uh, right. we're, we're, we're um, go ahead and promoting that on the podcast in terms of the sponsorship. But I said, hey, I want to talk to Ben, right? If we're gonna if we're gonna do this, let's talk to Ben. Get him on here. So tell us a little bit about the uh, the World Series of Trading um, and kind of what you guys are trying to accomplish with uh, with that initiative. Uh yeah, so we started, we were the first one that started a global competition in 2019 and that reached uh, one a huge scale, uh, close to 8,000 people. Uh, it was a team based where we had, I think, 30 to 40 teams from China, 20 teams from Korea, uh, 10, 15 teams from Japan, and then the rest, uh, 50 different teams from, you know, uh, our main markets, which is English, European markets. Uh, YouTubers, the Twitter guys, uh, leading different teams. So it was a battle and it was uh, sort of uh, a hype at the moment where people was talking about it and, and uh, discussing strategies and all that. Uh, and this time we want to uh, make it sort of uh, even bigger and make it into a, uh, a regular occurring event. So we changed the name from a simple BTC competition to WSOT. Uh, this is a reference to poker star WSOP, you know, <laughs> that kind of uh, idea. Uh, and we want to make the big prize. So this time the maximum prize, prize pool is, is 200 BTC. 
And this time it's still similar uh, concept with different teams, different country will join. Uh, we want to make it a truly global event and, and also uh, uh, let our clients see that we actually have global uh, huge presence all over the place, different countries. Uh, but this time, not only crypto, we actually got some uh, uh, poker people joining us, leading some teams. We got Doug Park going to be leading the team. Uh, Mike McDonald is going to be leading the team. Uh, and of course, your regular poker, uh, your regular Twitter guys, um, uh, YouTubers. Um, so with that being said, we want to sort of use this event to make a social event so everyone can you know, communicate and, and discuss and have a little bit of fun. So we're going to be also launching a chat room uh, function that our clients been asking a lot so people can actually chat among each other and uh, even trash talk if they want <laughs> and show off their profit and, and ROIs and all that. Yeah. Yeah, that's awesome. When, um, when, when you're thinking about kind of where we are in, uh, in the life cycle of crypto, you guys have been working on the business now for, um, for kind of three years, give or take. Uh, you've grown into one of the larger exchanges um, in the industry. How do you think about um, kind of the last three years of, of price movement, of kind of the building out of infrastructure, of uh, seeing some of the larger financial organizations come in? Like, how do you think we're doing and, and how do you just think about like where we are in crypto today? Um, I, I think definitely there has been a lot more product focused team and product oriented people coming into the space. So it's a good thing. I, I think after the whole 2017 uh, ICO, it, it got a lot of hype and a lot of people are interested. Um, and, and now from 2018, they're joining into the industry and you start to see different teams build a different product. Uh, a lot of teams are very team uh, product focused. So I, I would say instead of only focusing on the white paper and concept stage, we're actually moving into a very solid, people are building product and delivering product at that type of a, a stage. And like you said, um, we also made some investment recently into different projects. Uh, one is being a, a paradigm, which is a, a sort of a, a RFQ, OTC type of a, a software. Uh, we were very impressed with the team and the product. So we think there's some synergy going on there. And that's why we, we made some investment and hopefully we will be integrating to them very soon. Um, and, and just from a exchange perspective, um, there are a lot more institutions coming in now. Um, even talking to Bybit, uh, trying to connect to us, uh, you know, give us liquidity and, and trade uh, with, with our API. Um, so I, I think it's definitely, uh, the, the, you know, we see some good, good uh, progress in, in crypto. And, and to be honest, uh, for, for myself and for my team, uh, even through this whole epidemic, uh, we, uh, it's almost like a, a belief top up. I, I tell my team that uh, through this epidemic, uh, the whole teams uh, believe in blockchain and crypto just rise to, through the ceiling. The reason being that you start to see that the governments are shamelessly printing money. Like before you think they are kind of still hiding, but now they just, you know, <laughs> they're just printing. And you start to see that because of that, the consequences are uh, the rich are getting bailing out, but the poor, the inequality is so bad. Um, and you see that stock and everything is going up. But if you're living on, if you have no access to capital or you're just working on minimum wages, that $14, uh, $15 per hour, it's been diluted like hell. Uh, so you start to see there's a huge river in between people who have access to capital and people who are just basic labor. 
and, and there has to be revolution. So a lot of people say the first age of revolution, the first uh, part of the uh, internet age is the revolution of information, decentralized whatever of information. Uh, I believe the second part, second age is the revolution of, of capital, of money and of, of the whole financial system. So we, we think we want to make sure that we stay in the game and we, we stay solid. We build a product that's ready for mass adoption. Um, and so we're ready for when, when that comes and, and contribute to this. And uh, on the hand, uh, crypto is something completely uh, the whole, the whole um, about about the whole society, about the whole uh, you know, the, everyone gets benefited. So th this is why uh, we believe in so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and what about in China and kind of greater Asia, right? So a lot of people listening um, are in the United States, and about fifty percent of people listening are going to be outside of the United States right now. But you've got kind of this unique seat where um, you sit in Asia, uh, but you've got clients of kind of across the world. So how do you look at the development? Uh, and adoption of crypto in Asia versus maybe other parts of the world? Uh, I'm actually surprised in Asia is, uh, I would say is more, more uh, adopted. Um, we were entering into Indonesia market was one of the market you would assume is not so developed in terms of crypto and all that. So I, we went in with this assumption of assuming we need to do a lot of things. And then you go and you start to see, wow, all these exchanges are extremely <laughs> well uh, structured and uh, they have their own Indo tether, they have their regulations uh, completely uh, legalized and, uh, and all these company, uh, I think the largest one is called Indodex. So people can actually go to Indodex, uh, the counter and actually buy crypto. Uh, and it's completely legal and, and the government accepted. So uh, that, that that's took us by surprise. And then you go to Philippines, where we have actually an office in Philippines. Also, crypto is legalized, and you can get license there. And for China, I guess everyone knows the uh, the uh, there's a, a, a stable coin that's being releasing the DC uh, DECP, whatever it's called. Um, uh, so I think China wants to take this advantage to sort of. Uh, uh, you know, uh, change the current structure of USD, USD uh, and, uh, and, uh, and put sort of uh, the, the Chinese RMB into the world stage by uh, combining with, with crypto and, and blockchain. So overall, I think uh, uh, the hype in Asia is bigger even and, and people have stronger beliefs. And, and there was also recently a, a blockchain wave happening in Shenzhen in China. Uh, where there were a lot of people went there, uh, and you can see the hype. Even you know, you never thought you would see so many people after they said they can't make it, but <laughs> everyone is there, uh, and and everyone is talking about uh, you know DeFi's and everything. Uh, so I, I I think definitely Asia is is where the action is happening. Actually, <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And and what about like just people who are not in the crypto industry uh, in China or other parts of Asia, like what do they think about the Chinese uh, digital currency that, that uh, the government there is uh, planning to launch? Is, is there people talking about it? Do they know about it? Do they not care? Uh, to be honest, I, I, I think the whole uh, the Chinese stablecoin is very murky right now. Nobody knows. Even the people in the industry I talk to, everyone's just guessing. Uh, nobody knows what the central bank is doing or the Bank of China is trying to test. Um, I, I still think uh, at this stage, people in the crypto industry are, are, are still unclear. Uh, but we definitely start to see that we, we're doing a lot of hiring right now. And we see a lot of good candidates. And they sort of, they, they come into the interview uh, being that, oh, 
I see that China is sort of bullish on the whole blockchain and crypto uh, industry. That's why I'm coming here for this interview. Uh, and they always bring out this news that uh, oh, the central bank is, is coming out with a stable coin. But if you ask them, do, what do they know? They, they don't know anything. But they at least they take a signal that is positive. The government is going to move ahead with it. So they want to be the first uh, in the industry to find out. what. So they want to join to find out uh, what's going to happen. But they asked me and we were like, well, we still don't really know <laughs> at the moment. But we also, uh, I know as much as you do. So, so this is what's going, going on. Yeah, and, and it's pretty interesting too because I think as you get like the rise of DeFi, right, and kind of these decentralized or automated products, um, do you think that whether it's the uh, Chinese digital currency, Bitcoin, or, or something else, do you think that the average user in Asia is open to using those products for financial services over like the legacy institutions, or do you feel like there's still some loyalty to uh, the legacy financial institutions and crypto is really only for trading and, and kind of uh, investing, if you will, but not necessarily the, the more traditional financial services. Um, are you asking about China or uh, China specifically? China specifically. To be honest, my this is only my personal take. A personal take it is uh, uh, I don't think the Chinese mainstream will be using DeFi uh, uh, to replace the current, you know, the legacy uh, services. One of the reasons being that um, the existing service, let's say Alipay or you know uh, Tencent, all these different financial tools, are so convenient. Uh, there are a lot of people. I know a lot of my friends that are either Americans or you know from from UK. When they move back to the US, they feel very uncomfortable because a lot of these things are not available anymore. It's so convenient being in China. Uh, but obviously, you give up certain things. You give up the uh, your your privacy. So in a way, it's a trade-off. You give you have no privacy. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, given that being said, uh, all these tools what Chinese are currently using and uh, used to are so convenient. There's no need and they, there's no concept of why do I need to change. And and you can sort of uh, also this whole debate about privacy. Uh, if you never had something, you you sort of you don't really know. What, you know, you know. <laughs> so if you never had privacy and you, you, you never ask, so you don't see people on Weibo talking about uh, different privacy issues, but where you see a lot of that in, in, in Twitter on, on that, which is I, I don't necessarily personally agree with, but um, but this is what the Chinese uh, current state is. So being that, um, if you're trying to push out a DeFi and sell people that hey. If you use this thing, at least you get your privacy. And people are like, well, I'm perfectly happy with what I'm doing right now. So this is the, uh, the the dilemma we're facing right now. But uh, should it be changed? Uh, definitely, I, I believe so. I, I believe uh, with DeFi it would change a lot of things. And my belief is that maybe with that whole revolution of crypto and, and, and that will push the things changing a bit in China as well. Yeah. Yeah, and one of the last things I wanted to talk about was just uh, building a team, right? So you, you've done a fantastic job of uh, kind of gathering very smart people very quickly and, and have built uh, a very profitable business. Have, how have you found hiring, uh, whether it's there in China or globally? Uh, before we got started, you were telling me how uh, you guys kind of were very used to working remotely and kind of using all the different remote tools. but obviously you're looking for the best people. So talk a little bit about kind of building your team and how you found that hiring process. Uh, we, we take hiring very seriously. Um, actually all the hirings uh, are, the final interviews is definitely one of the founders, even a reception person. 
coming in that uh, one of the founders would uh, sit that last final round. Uh, simply because we want to make sure our people understand the company culture they're coming into uh, by presenting a founder. And, and, and normally that gives them a little bit, uh, a very positive feeling about the company that, oh, you really take care of the, you really care about the hiring process. Uh, uh, but I mean, right now, uh, as, far, as far as hiring concern, uh, we actually find through this epidemic, uh, a lot of good candidate is, uh, is, is becoming available. So we actually has been spending uh, massively. Uh, right now we have globally about more than 250 people. Um, so uh, half of them, uh, more, more than half of them are, are you know, uh, uh, hired uh, probably during this whole uh, six months. Um, so, uh, and uh, we, have, uh, we have one interesting round I can share you that uh, normally the first round interview is the hiring manager. And the second round is what we call a cultural interview. So all we're asking uh, is, is this person coming from completely different units. So if you're hiring a marketing person, this person is coming from either uh, IT background or our accounting department. Uh, we select them as our uh, cultural representative and, and they will be asking questions about uh, what do you like to play and you know, uh, what, uh, what, what's your preference? What kind of people you hang out with? Like, this, and also, they actually tell the candidate about uh, what is working in, in Bybit like, because a lot of times the candidate is feeling a little bit shy, uh, asking kind of direct questions about the line manager. So they ask the cultural interviewer, and the cultural interviewer, their core responsibility is to find out whether this person have client-first mentality, or whether it's being, this person is sincere, um, whether it's a, it's a goal-oriented person, and the, a few criteria we want to find out, and they gave a score. And if our cultural interview doesn't pass, this person cannot be hired into the company. Uh, we rotate our staff to do that. So they take great ownership on, uh, and honor in doing this uh, because they feel, you know, I'm actually the person in charge of character and I need to be extremely, um, uh, you know, careful. So it's, uh, I find that it's very interesting and um, a lot of good positive feedbacks uh, about that process. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. I absolutely love that. Um, before I get into uh, the rapid fire questions to end it, uh, what's your number one priority for the second half of 2020? Like, what are you most focused on uh, seeing Bybit or, or your team do? We want to expand our current uh, product lines. Uh, like I said, uh, we are launching our expiration contract and also hopefully by Q4, we want to launch our option product. Uh, um, so we, we want to truly by this year, expand our product line, uh, make sure whenever we release a product, it, it has some innovation in it. Uh, and that's why the past two products, the mutual insurance and the strategy alert, they're both uh, unique and the, the uh, you know, so uh, this is our pure focus that we want to uh, lead the industry uh, by innovating product and give the clients what they, 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 they want. Yeah. Love that. I finished each interview with uh, the same two questions. The first being, what is the most important book that you've ever read? Uh, most important book. Uh, you know what? Um, I recently... <laughs> I, I recently uh, took a vacation and, and my uh, second son was just born uh, two weeks ago. So I was uh, in the hospital and uh, you know, holding him. And just on the shelf, there was a book called Tuesday with Maurice. And uh, so I read that Tuesday with Maurice, uh, 
this is a very good book about this professor, you know, uh, uh, dying words and giving a, a last life lesson about uh, his vision of how to treat life and how to give back to society and all of that. So it was, it, it was very, it was very uh, refreshing. And uh, for me, it was good to slow down, uh, especially with, uh, in the hospital with my kid just there. Uh, it's it sort of awakening. I was like, okay, I need to slow down and focus more on life and all that. <laughs> so this is one of the recent book I read. Uh, I found it very interesting. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a very strategically placed book, right? Is to put that in the, in the room. Probably my, my, my wife put it there. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Uh, the second question is a little bit more fun. Aliens, believer or non-believer? Oh, hundred percent believer. Why? Uh, especially after knowing that how small we are. <laughs> uh, maybe before I, I didn't know, uh, but after we found out the whole galaxy and how small we are, I'm sure there's, you know, maybe not in this galaxy, but in different galaxies, there's something, a being like uh, either like us or uh, a civilization. So uh, for sure, I definitely believe in that. And uh, yeah, you never know. <laughs> yeah. I think that is a, a great way to look at it. It's just the world is so big, right? How, how do we know yeah. what, uh, what could possibly be out there? Uh, yeah. To end it, you get to ask me one question. So what is the one question that you have for me? One question I have for you. Mm, this is very good. Um, what was the one most interesting uh, question you asked? And even to this day, you find it interesting. Uh, you kind of think back to uh, to one of the, any of the people you interviewed, yeah. Um, most interesting question. I'm or sort of you, awakening that kind of changed you. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to give you two uh, two answers. So first of all, the reason why I asked the alien question is because I think it just gives you a, a pretty good, uh, very quick view into like how people think, right? Mm -hmm. So some people uh, will come on and they'll say, "Hey, uh, I don't believe in aliens because I've never seen one." Right. Somebody right. else will come in and say, I believe because, you know, mathematic probability says that, you know, it's more probable than not. Other people will come in and say, I believe because here's, you know, three scientific equations and, and, and they're very kind of analytical about it. So I think that uh, it's just like my favorite question because it, it can tell you so much about the way somebody thinks, uh, what they believe. Um, you know, people who want to believe aliens are real versus people who, you know, don't want <laughs> to and, and yeah. stuff like that. I'm yeah. just, I would say that's definitely one. Uh, in terms of um, like my favorite question, I don't think I have one. I think what it ends up being is uh, there are times when I do an interview and I'll ask a question and somebody is so brutally honest with their answer that it almost makes them uncomfortable. And I, th <laughs> I think that like yeah. when, when, when you see that happen, it's just a really special moment. Like this person's so intellectually honest and, and, and right. so just transparent that they didn't right. want to tell me what they just told me, but they did. <laughs> right. Okay. And, and, and so to me, like, it's just this, uh, this vulnerability that, uh, I think a lot of people, they will, um, you know, if you go on television, for example, everyone is right. trying to like project some image, right? Hey, I'm the right. smart trader guy. I'm the smart, this, I'm the smart, this, you know, woman, whatever. Podcasts are a little bit different that people are, are, are more authentic and kind of just, you know, have a conversation. Uh, yeah. and so I think when you see people be like overly vulnerable, especially when they say things that are true, but don't make them look good. You're just like, man, this is pretty cool experience to kind of have those types of conversations with people.
Yeah. Well, awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you. Where, um, yeah. where, where can we send people to, uh, to find you on the internet and then uh, find out more about Bybit or the world series of trading? Uh, well, I'm on Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. So people can find me at, uh, Ben Bybit, you know, at Ben Bybit or, um, for WSOT, just go to our bybit.com and you'll be able to see some information. Yeah. It's all over the homepage. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Awesome, Ben. Listen, thank you so much for taking the time to do this. I really enjoyed it. And uh, congratulations with all your guys' success. Uh, and we'll have to do it again in the future. Thank you. Thank you. Looking forward to the next talk. <laughs> thank you.